1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Collin in for the judge, Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The game plan for your money as we kick off the first full trading day of the second half of the year. We're going to debate that with the investment committee. Full desk here at Post 9, we have Joe Terranova. Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, and Jim Labenthal. But first, a check on the markets right now. You're going to see red across the board right now. All three indices down fractionally right now. The NASDAQ down about a quarter of a percent. The Dow, however, the hardest hit. Looking at the 10-year, that's where we're really seeing some movement right there. The year, the yield there jumping almost 20 basis points in just the past week. Of course, we are waiting for those Fed minutes coming up at 2 p.m. Eastern. And right now, as we begin this conversation, two things I want to point out to you guys. First off, the Russell, the small caps, the hardest hit out of all the indices, down almost a percent off of its lows. But the VIX actually reaching its highs for this session, up more than 3%. Joe, you're right here. What do you make of this on the first full trading day of the year to see volatility spike up? A very different story than we saw in the first half of the year. Look, two very
0: strong quarters consecutively to begin the year. Uh, you, you, you can't dismiss the premise that at some point you are going to have a correction for the markets. How deep is the correction going to be? I think it's going to be very shallow in its nature. And I believe, barring a geopolitical shock, 2023 will be a very strong year for, for equities. Uh, but the catalyst for the type of correction that I'm... Um, Uh, speaking towards, I think it comes in the Treasury market. I think it comes with a 10-year Treasury getting back above 4%, a two-year Treasury getting back towards the March highs at 5%. That would be the area of the market that I'm focused on. I think the news this morning regarding uh, weakness in the Chinese economy, in particular for the services industry, that's more about the commodity story. And I think that's more evidence why You want to ensure that your portfolio has the exposure to mega caps and to technology because it seems to me until China is able to really reopen with strength and contribute to global economic growth, that commodity story is going to be under pressure, whether it's agriculture, oil or steel.
1: All right. So he's looking at just basically that picture right now. Jenny, I'm talking to you now. We're seeing volatility up just a bit. We also talked about this rally broadening out a bit, but again, on the first full trading day of the year, it's the small caps that are getting hit.
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's a whole six months ahead, right? We've got six months under our belt, six months ahead. And one of the things that you and I were talking about before the show started, Frank, was the unbelievable divergence and bifurcation in returns. Right. So I think you know a day or two here doesn't make a market, but it's pretty wild thinking about what happened in the first quarter, how the NASDAQ was up 31%, S&P was up 17%. Um, the Russell Equal Weighted Index is only at five. So when when Joe said um, when Joe said there's a high likelihood for a correction in equities, I think that that correction could be as bifurcated and as divergent as the rally was in the first half. So looking at this and thinking about small caps, it's just stunning. I mean, here's another the, thing that in is, the
0: in the upcoming quarter, in the upcoming the quarter, quarter right.
2: or second half. I mean, it could be the whole second more half. More like
0: no, statistically, it's more likely that you're going to get the correction in. Calendar quarter three. Actually, calendar quarter four is historically a very strong quarter. You're right,
2: because everyone's gone in the summer and volumes dry up, and you know. Um, But on the small cap thing, it's so shocking to me. So I'm looking at current valuations versus 20 year averages. Small cap value is trading at 90% of their 20 year average PE, large cap growth is trading at 144%. So, so I don't really worry about small cap today. I just look at that and think, holy smokes, it's undervalued.
1: Right, I wanna jump off something Jenny just mentioned, the S&P equal weight. Uh, Savita Subramanian of B of A coming out with a note, saying in part, we expect the breadth to continue to broaden out as seen in June. And she expects the equal weighted index to outperform the cap weighted index in the second half, very early in the second half. Obviously today, we're not seeing that just yet. But do you believe we're going to see the market continue to broaden out, Steve? You know,
3: uh, we could. It's natural because you've had, you know, those narrow set of stocks that have done so well. So then you've got to see some catch up from the others. Um, You know, I, I think what's interesting today is that it's, you know, when you talk about small caps, small caps have had a great run lately. So it's not unusual for them to give up some ground, particularly this being a holiday shortened week. Actually, some say a holiday week. So liquidity is just not there, and they generally are less liquid. So I think that explains that. Like, Jenny, you can't draw a trend from one day. Uh, I think, though, more are looking for a correction, and now that they've done, got such a great first half that if you play the right stocks, that's equal to a couple of years' performance. And it's very unusual, as you know, for stocks to have that kind of performance when you've seen rates move up as they have. So I think people are getting more nervous about the market, to Joe's point, looking for that correction this quarter. Um, But you're lapping some pretty aggressive uh, inflation numbers, so you should see inflation indicators start to moderate, particularly rents. uh, Labor, I don't know if you will, I mean, take a look at UPS today, and uh, the strength of the unions and of the labor force, they're still able to command pretty good wages so so overall yeah it should broaden because that's just natural you know right. way things go when you see markets move up um but i'm i'm like joe i'm a little cautious
1: All on right, the direction so, so Wes, you're saying it makes sense for it to broaden um jim want to toss this over to you another uh note from b of a saying that they saw the biggest weekly inflows since october and it really was focused on communication services record weekly inflow one of the names in that index uh meta hit yeah. in a 52-week hide today so Even when we see a a quote unquote broadening out, it's still mega cap tech that AI trade pushing things higher.
4: Yeah. A couple of thoughts here. Um, first off, it is a short week. This seems like a light trading day right now. It feels a little bit like Monday. Uh, frankly, the uh, equal weight was underperforming this morning and now it's kind of caught right back up. I, I think this is a market that is still on the edge of are we going to have a recession or not? I'm of the opinion, by the way, I've been consistent on this, that at this point, it doesn't matter whether we have a recession. The market's looking forward to 2024. But in honor of my nemesis to the right here, who is you <laughs> know, so fixated on a recession, I think I'll play Play this game and just say, OK, um, look, if you have the recession, the market's not going to broaden. The top down macroeconomists are going to be right. By the way, they've been taking their S&P 500 estimates consistently down, their earnings estimates consistently down all year. On the other hand, uh, stock specific people like me, like Jenny, you know, we really focus in on what stocks are doing, what companies are saying. We see estimates going up. We see guidance going up. We see enthusiasm from managements. And that disconnect between the top down and the bottom up guys uh, has to be resolved. Good news. It's going to be resolved soon. There's a bunch of things coming up in the next week, week and a half. You got the labor report. You got CPI next week. That's a big one. That's a big one as far as what the Fed will do. But even more important, earnings coming up. Jenny, I know you you, you love this. You want to live there. Earnings start next week. You get yeah. Delta, you get yeah. the banks. And we're going to get a resolution as to who's right. The top-down guys, the, the bears, like my good buddy here, or the guys who are looking at the stocks, the guys and gals who are looking at the stocks and see pretty good things. You know, that's well, sort of a mischaracterization. right? Of uh, str- you being his nemesis a lot or of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. that part's true, okay.
5: actually. We'll
3: make sure. But the, uh, I'm bottoms up. You know, you ask me about markets, I'll give you my view of markets, but I'm looking at individual stocks. I'm not basing my portfolio, should I be overweight this or underweight that? You've either got fundamentals that command that I put you in the portfolio, or you don't. And that's what I look at. I'm not fixated on a recession. Do so I think there's a likelihood, a high likelihood? Absolutely, I think there's a likelihood. In terms of earnings, I don't know where Jim's getting his numbers from, but according to FactSet, on a 5 year and 10 year basis the downward earnings visions are less than they've been in that period of time on the on
4: average. the day, let's just get the facts straight by the way he had his by way, know, Steve recommended, going to factset no I, he got his recommended daily allowance of crabby cakes this morning apparently <laughs> um look factset which is what the source says like mr rogers F- hang, hang on, on hang on hot <laughs> chat you know. Uh, fact set the top down estimates for the S&P 500 itself earnings have been doing nothing but going down however where i live where jenny lives individual stocks i don't care if it's general motors jp morgan cleveland cliffs these estimates are going up
1: wait wait don't you care though what stocks are seeing earnings revisions to the upside versus the ones to the I downside i just named some. what do you mean well, don't i care but what sort i'm of just question saying is does, that it doesn't i mean if it's just broadly every stock seeing earnings revisions to the upside obviously that's one thing but there's certain stocks, especially with these valuations. And Joe and Jenny, I'm going to bring you into this, this duo that these that. guys have going on right here. When we look at the valuation uh, expansion right now. We're seeing a, a company like Apple today, 30 times forward. Uh, January 1st, it was 20 times forward. You see Microsoft, 32 times forward. January 1st, 23 times forward. So with these high valuations, doesn't it matter what stocks are seeing the earnings
2: revision?
1: 100%. All right. So I, I think the big question, let's, let's go back. Jimmy said
0: something that's very interesting. He talked about the potential for the economic recession. Okay, sometimes, and Josh Brown has done a good job talking about this on the network, sometimes the stock market is not the economy. Europe is in a statistical recession right now. They are in a confirmed economic recession. Yet if you look at the returns from Italy, Germany, Spain, and France, they all rival NASDAQ-type returns. So now you turn back to your question on, are the valuations of a lot of these mega cap companies too rich? And the answer to that is, The recession that's more important is the recession that we're in right now in the US, and that's the earnings recession. So you've had two consecutive quarters of earnings contraction. You're on the verge of now having a third consecutive quarter of earnings contraction. What happens next? The street expects that you get the V-shaped recovery. And if you get that V-shaped recovery, if consensus expectations are correct, that in Q4 you have double-digit earnings growth, then I'm not as concerned about the valuation on a lot of these mega-cap companies. If it's a more prolonged earnings recession, if it's U-shaped in its nature, then you're right, like Jenny is right now, to have a valuation concern.
2: So I think it's interesting. When you ask the question, like, which which earnings going up, does it matter? Does it matter if it's broadening out? It's so interesting because what we saw over the weekend from the banks... Right, was all these banks, Bank of Bank of New York, City, Citizens, Capital One, Goldman, JP Morgan, they all raise their dividends. What does that mean? That means that their earnings are, are doing well, right. t- might be revised up. And so that completely supports Savita's thesis that we're gonna have a broadening out. It also supports portfolios like mine and Jim's that weren't reliant on having 30% of the portfolio and seven stocks to just like chase the market. So it's an interesting thing. So it, it totally matters. And it's gonna be a really big deal that dictates the next quarter and the second half. Um, one other thing that I think is really interesting I had a client in the office on Monday, and um, really sophisticated person, not a professional investor. And he said to me, But it's obvious, isn't it, that the market's already incorporated the chance of a recession and is, already has incorporated the chance of two hikes. And I think. I've been saying for a long time that I think the market's already incorporated recession. You know, like I was joking a year ago. If my mom's asking me about recession, it's got to be pretty priced in. So I think <laughs> that kind of goes back to this debate, which, which is it doesn't matter too much if we have a recession or not. It's the depth, it's the length, but mostly I think it's already in this market.
1: So one thing that may not be priced in is just the continued disruption of AI. I want to point to Dan Ives from Wedbush. Great note out from him today, saying that he believes that when it comes to AWS, there's another. Thirty-five to forty dollars of AI spend for every one hundred that was spent in recent years. That's thirty-five to forty percent upside in the growth driver for some of these mega-cap tech businesses. If that's if that's reality, if that's reality, which it very well could be, doesn't that just change the narrative on what the valuations of these companies are? No. Just just every no, Jenny. Why?
2: Okay, because a couple weeks ago, Goldman put a big piece out that sounded like a big deal superficially, and it was something like. Like over the next 10 years, AI is going to drive, it's going to increase GDP by like 30%. But you annualize that out, right? And it's two and change percent, 30% over 10 years annualized isn't that much. And then you spread that out all over the place. And you spread it out to companies like Microsoft and Amazon and right. all the, like even Gilman Hill is probably going to ultimately be a beneficiary from AI. And you spread it out so broadly that I think what's happened right now is it's jacked the valuations on the super obvious plays like NVIDIA and then all the money's come out, or money has come out of the non-obvious AI beneficiaries. But I think AI benefits society much more broadly than what the stock market's implied so far. So, and, so Jen, Jen,
1: w- 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 really quick, Jen, I think that might yeah. be a contrary opinion. I okay. think most people think the megacap tech companies are going to see the biggest benefit. This this rising tide doesn't lift all boats okay, equally. but what is it really, and Jim, what is sorry, it,
2: but what does it increase Apple's earnings growth by? Like one or 2% over the next 10 years on average? Does that make sense then that the valuation is well, down use the numbers. Times to 30 times?
4: Let's use the numbers. Okay, let's look cool. at Microsoft, all right? Looking at FactSet again, all right? Long term, this is the analysts, uh, you know, cumulatively together, they project that for the next several years, it will grow earnings at twelve and a half percent trading at 30 times. Now, I'm certainly not saying go out there short Microsoft. I own Microsoft. I own it at about 4% well below the market weight. Why well below the market weight? Because I think it has borrowed forward a lot of the gains from coming years into this year. Uh, You've got a peg ratio, which is what I really, probably the most important metric I use, of about two and a half times uh, on on Microsoft. That means it's a little bit above fair value. It doesn't mean go sell the stock. It doesn't mean short the stock. But in terms of loading up the boat right now, I don't think that's where you're gonna get the best gains going forward. Now, I wanna go back to Joe, something you, you talked about at the start of the show is a correction. How about if the correction looks more like a rolling rally? OK, we've talked about a rolling recession for the last year and a half. And, and you know where I'm going with this, Joe, right? What if sectors like the large cap tech simply sort of hang out for the next six to 12 months while the rest of the market, those cyclicals, which I'm overweight, industrials, materials, energies, financials, do well on the back of hard asset investment that is continuing to go on in this country. That's what I'm playing for, by the way
1: weiss you're conspicuously quiet over there i mean are you just soaking this all in it's tough to get a word in Um, (laughs) so look here's what i'd say yes it will you know
3: ai will undoubtedly help drive you know more growth in aws let's keep in mind growth is in the high teens right now so it's not based upon ai i don't think where amazon is it's based upon a resumption of growth in, in just their cloud For business. Azure,
1: Google Cloud, right, and right. AWS. All- it'll
3: take a long time, but yes, it'll be another growth element as you add the tools. Keep in mind the tools aren't perfected. I still believe Microsoft is gonna be the biggest beneficiary. I struggle to see how big a beneficiary Apple's going to be of AI, right? Because they're not really providing you the software. They've got the hardware. Right. And we know those those upgrade cycles have lengthened. so. So that's what you're playing for with Amazon, with Microsoft, because, yes, it is overvalued. But no, I'm not selling. Them.
0: The distinctive advantage that Apple, Alphabet and Microsoft have is the free cash flow generation. So the research and development that will be needed for the innovation to advance these companies have it. Apple's sitting on $97 billion. Alphabet's sitting on 60 plus billion and Microsoft is a little less at around 57 billion. And that's the distinctive advantage that very few companies are blessed with that type of capital that can fund that innovation and take it ultimately to where it needs to go. Um, Jim and Jenny are correct. In the near term, it seems as though some of the semis are where you'll see the strongest contribution to revenue. You've witnessed that with NVIDIA. And as an investor, if you have a concern where the valuation is, okay, you trade, make the valuation trade. You trade away from an AMD and you buy a Broadcom, which has a much more realistic valuation and will still be part of the
3: AI story. If you go back a few years and you take the conversation and the stocks that that just blew up because of autonomous driving, Right. right? Autonomous driving is here and you created a bubble. To some extent, you still you have that in AI as well. And you have, I think, a little closer realization period with AI than you do with autonomous driving because you need so many things to fall into place. Some will continue to do well like in Nvidia because they're the only game in town. Right. They won't always be the other game in town. So just a little caution in the AI bubble from that standpoint.
1: All right, so speaking of mega cap tech, let's take it in a different direction. We're gonna get to our call of the day. Netflix getting an upgrade at Goldman Sachs. The firm ditching its sell rating on the stock. The analysts have been on the sidelines for just about a year. And in that time, shares have soared, as you can see, 137%. Goldman also upping its price target on Netflix to $400, which actually represents just about a 10% downside from here. Joe, you own this name. So this is a name that was purchased at the end of April for the uh, ETF. Personally,
0: I'm trying to buy the name. I think they have a distinctive advantage as it relates to content over Disney. It doesn't mean I think you sell Disney stock here because Disney stock is cheap. I just think... Netflix has been able to increase the content that they're distributing. The content is something that uh, viewers want right now. And then from the perspective of momentum, it's, you you can't argue with the fact the stock is breaking out right now. It clearly is. It looks like the upside target is the November highs at $700. So this was a stock uh, that was down at 162 right. in May of 2022. It has made a remarkable recovery. What do you see as an investor, do you see that low from May of 2022 at 162? Or do you see the high November of $700? Momentum will tell you you see the high at $700. All
1: right, so, Jenny, you own Disney. Obviously, their Disney Plus Pro uh, service that rival to Netflix.
2: Right, but I just want to get back to one thing that I think is really important for our viewers to consider. When you peg your high and you say, oh, it could get back to 700. That's like saying, oh, things in the dot-com boom could have gotten back to the crazy prices that they were at. Netflix was was the king daddy of pandemic beneficiary, right? In every way, everyone was home, everyone was thinking about it. $4 trillion had been dumped in people's pockets. They didn't have anything to do. So to me, that $700 per share is ridiculous right and it was just it was a moment in time it was a chase it was a game so like I really think people do themselves a disservice. I think it's a great
3: point point. plus you had the free money or you don't have it now I think Netflix can have a great quarter now the strike the writer's strike the production strike I mean that's that's panacea for them, right because they don't have to pay for those current productions so it's on hold so that's why you're seeing the upgrades I believe because They should theoretically blow out the quarter, and until the strike settled their costs could come way down. There's another thing about Netflix that Disney—can you imagine sitting in a Disney corporate meeting with all your divisional presidents there saying, I need more capital, I need more capital, and fighting with Disney Plus— for capital allocation, because they're saying, I'm tired of supporting this business. Netflix doesn't have it, because they've got one model. They've had no problem financing that model. So that gives them the advantage. That's their channel. They are the best at it. Whether you want to pay this price for it or not, who knows? I mean, I'd love to own it. I don't. It's right. not a ridiculous valuation. No, I agree. You know, I agree. So, I agree.
0: You, know, you can't compare it to you know, the dot-com era, valuations. But Jim, I know you disagree. It's not that much
4: more expensive than But you own Disney and Paramount. Do yeah. you think Netflix um, is overpriced? I do think it's overpriced. I'm listening to you, Joe. You know, I, you say something. Of course I listen to it and I respect it. I mean, I see it. Netflix, this is at 32 times uh, free cash flow for next year. And I think to myself, that's a lot. That's a lot. I also happen to think that this is one of those stocks that I've taken to calling a bro stock where people are like, bro, just own Netflix. You don't have to think about it. And that works. By the way, Joe, you're 100 percent right about the momentum, right? It works until it doesn't. And that's where Jenny and I are, are become right. I can't tell you when that happens. I can't tell you it's today or a week from now or a month from now. I can tell you at 32 times next year's free cash flow up 150 percent in a year. There's no way I'm buying this. But they're, no way. Off, but they're throwing off more free cash flow than Disney, aren't they? Uh, what's the, the price differential matters here? And and again, I just you're paying. We're not going to argue about the momentum. We're going to argue about the no, valuation. I, right. But I just at, asked at a simple question. 32 times.
0: Where, who's throwing off more free cash
4: flow?
2: I don't remember. And who's executing yeah, better? I,
0: I
4: really it's 3 billion versus well, 1 billion.
2: You're also comparing still,
4: apples to oranges. But I want to okay. make this really simple. I want to make this really simple. I think that the gains for Netflix have been brought forward from the coming years into the last year. And you may get some more uh, juice out of this orange, Joe. And I hope you do. I hope you do. Uh, you may get some more juice just because of the momentum. But that's not something I'm going to trade on.
1: Yeah, something to watch. I think Weiss's point about the writer strike is interesting because Netflix also really relies on new content like a Bridgerton. They need those episodes to come back. You yeah, have the writer strike. What entices people to renew their subscription or keep the paid tier? Something that's been a big boost for the stock. All right. Speaking of Steve Weiss, let's switch gears a bit. We have a committee move that we need to get to. Steve, you just sold Humana. Give us a give us a sense of why you decided to make that move in the healthcare space.
3: Yeah. So so I went into UNH and that I still own. I haven't shaved that at all. Actually, I've added to it on some dips. Uh, it's, a, it's a perennial compound. You're going through a rough time now. And Humana was also pretty beaten up. So I went into that as a trade. It didn't work out. I've lost money on the trade. Uh, and I figure I have enough exposure to Medicare. I would also think that, that this quarter, like they talked about last quarter, um, and recently when they spoke at conferences, that you're going to see an increase in procedures, which is going to hurt the MLR, uh, medical loss ratio. So, just I've got enough exposure with UNH. It's a, it's a decent-sized position, and I just got tired of watching UNH go down. It was a trade, so tried yeah. to use some discipline, got out, set a loss. Just you know, I'll benefit as, you, as UNH recovers.
1: Yeah, you know, healthcare in general, as you mentioned, under pressure since that UNH report about seniors getting surgeries. All right, coming up next here on halftime, a pop for Meta shares hitting a new 52-week high ahead of its Threads launch. We got a lot of ownership here on the desk. More halftime back in two minutes. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Shares of Meta hitting a fresh 52-week high as the company prepares to roll out a new competitor to Twitter. Let's bring in our Julia Boorstin with those details. Julia.
6: Well, that's right, Frank. Meta is preparing to launch this new Twitter alternative. It's called Threads, and it's an offshoot of Meta's Instagram app. Now, this new app, which is set for release tomorrow, is already in the App Store with a countdown clock until its launch. It's calling itself a text-based conversation app and Threads appears to look a lot like Twitter and it will leverage Instagram's popularity, enabling users to quickly follow the same profiles they follow on Instagram and to use their pre-existing Instagram handles. Now, the question for meta investors who seem pretty bullish based on the 3% gains today is whether this new app can use Instagram's reach to 2 billion plus users to quickly scale a new app to draw users as well as ad dollars from Twitter and others. Now, if this works, this could create a new growth driver for the tech giant at a time when it's working to cut costs and it's focusing on profitability. Now, for Twitter, Meta's Thread's launch comes when it is particularly vulnerable. This past weekend, Elon Musk set limits to tweets on top of concerns about content moderation as well as demand for Twitter's new subscription, Twitter Blue. Now, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, they are longtime rivals. But it was news of this Twitter alternative that sparked the conflict that resulted in Musk challenging Zuckerberg to a physical cage match. Frank?
1: (laughs) What a way to end that story, Julia. Great to see you, as always. Uh, Jenny, Joe Weiss, all of you guys on Meta, we're going to cage match this one out. Who wants to go first? I'll
2: (laughs) go. Because I know where you're coming from, (laughs) Eda. So I think it's interesting. So I think the question is, right, is Threads? Um a threat to Twitter. Right. Probably, yeah. Is it beneficial to Meta? I think is the bigger question. And on that you've got Meta with 126 billion of revenues. At its peak, Twitter only had five billion of revenues. So while this could be very threatening to Twitter, it's never going to be, at least I don't think it's ever going to be dramatically meaningful. To Meta, even if even if it got to five billion or ten billion, it's still just a tiny portion of overall revenues. So it's kind of like marginally good, but not that exciting. It's more of an interesting story than an interesting part of the investment thesis on Meta separately. You know, we owned this a year ago when it was at eighty-ish, and well, I guess that was November. But anyway, so we've trimmed it a couple times. Here we are at two ninety-four. We've trimmed it as recently as April. We'll probably trim some again.
1: So anybody concerned about this so-called year of efficiency for Meta? You're launching a new product. Mm-hmm. It's not going to make money right away. You're still trying to monetize WhatsApp. So remember, I-, I thought this was supposed to be all about Meta being more focused, and now you're launching new products to compete with what you say is a pretty small business.
2: Well, I don't think it's a bad idea, though. It's To me, at least, it goes hand-in-hand with what they do and, and works off of their existing base. So to me, that's like, I don't have a problem with that being inefficient. You know, it's not like some crazy off-the-wall idea. It seems seems reasonable.
0: I agree. That's excellent analysis. As long as they're not speaking about the metaverse, Mm -hmm. I'm okay with it. (laughs) Um, I think clearly there's an audience that can be captured away from Twitter for the reasons that I think all of us collectively understand why. I agree with you. It's not going to be a significant contributor to revenue for meta, but it does expand potentially the ecosystem the users of the platform which is which is a good
3: thing and, and you know, if, maybe it if, makes
2: a better platform
3: if, if i were twitter lenders i'd be worried Me because okay. because meta now has the ability to package it so they can discount you know versus twitter whatever the rates are twitter's having its own issues the big question for for meta at this point they've got enough issues with some toxic instagram con, you know content with how it impacts young people is this going to be a toxic issue for them having a Twitter competitor? Can't be any worse so, than so, Twitter. No, but the point is, the point, the point, that's not my point. The point like. is, yeah. if it's as bad as Twitter, it won't be good for Meta because it'll taint Meta further. So they've got to come out with sort of like a clean alternative and keep trolls like right. my good friend
1: here, Jimmy, off. Of, I am so sure you know, not. I, you know, I, I I how did this happen? One, one quick mean, question. Sure. Are you guys worried about overlap, though? I mean, how many people that have Twitter don't already have Instagram? Twitter, really, it's, it's a
4: Twitter, Twitter is a cesspool, okay? It is a cesspool. Is. Everything that goes on, it's a circus cesspool. You got this weekend that limiting tweets. Um, you know, the trolls, I'm actually hurt by that. You did cross a line there. We'll talk later. Um, you know, just the, the <laughs> animosity that's there. I feel this way about social media in general, which is why I don't own these stocks. But I will say that Twitter's mess-ups are creating an opportunity for meta here. I think it's obvious.
0: One, one of the things that Twitter has never been able to overcome is that one voice. Voice should not control multiple identities. Right. Right. And, and that's, that's the, the biggest challenge that Twitter is ultimately have. Um, Steve, I don't know if you know the valuation, but I wonder what this does to the actual valuation of Twitter. There have been some that have suggested Twitter is, what, worth a it's, quarter of what it yeah. was for what Elon bought it for. What does this now reduce I mean, that think valuation
3: of it. It's, it's even been further. a monopoly, virtual monopoly, and we you've got others oh, that sort of touch on it, like Snap, but it's been a virtual monopoly and it hasn't been able to work. All right, well, one thing we
1: know, the street likes the idea. Meta Platform's up more than 3% right now. All right, time now for the headlines with our Sima Modi. Sima, good afternoon. Hey,
7: Frank, here's what's happening at this hour. Ukrainian police say they are investigating a reported explosion in a district court in Kiev. Authorities did not make a link to Moscow in their initial message. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin attending a virtual summit with the leaders of China and India. It was his first time speaking on the world stage since the Wagner Group's attempted mutiny 11 days ago. Putin claims his country has never been more united. Let's turn to Ohio. Abortion rights group submitting signatures to get a proposed measure to enshrine abortion access in the state constitution on a ballot. The group had until today to collect nearly 413,000 valid signatures. They say they're submitting 710,000. If officials determine they met the target, the measure will be up for a statewide vote in the November election. And overseas, King Charles was presented with Scotland's crown jewels today in a ceremony marking his coronation. Protesters, though, lining Edinburgh's Royal Mile ahead of the service and could actually be heard shouting, quote, not my king. While Charles and his wife Camilla entered the cathedral, polls suggesting the monarchy is less popular among Scots than the rest of the UK. Frank, I'll send it back to you.
1: All right. Seema, thank you. Our Seema Modi live from Gold Cliffs. All right, coming up here on Halftime, ETFs delivering some mixed messages in the first half of the year The playbook on what might work for the second half of the year. That's coming up next on Halftime.
5: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
8: We're back here on Halftime. Let's get over to Mr. Bob Pisani with today's ETF Edge. Bob. Good to see you, Frank. ETFs for the second half. What is going to work? You know, despite a very strong first half performance for the broad equity markets, ETF equity flows have been subpar this year, really disappointing. The big money is going into Treasury ETFs and money market funds, even technology ETFs. Big gains, outflows. Amazing. So what's the playbook for the second half? Let's talk with Todd Sohn. He's ETF and technical strategist at Strategas.com. Todd, all the money in the first half, as I said, gone into treasuries, money market funds. The technology sector is up 30 percent, and it's got outflows this year, which is amazing to me. Outflows from energy, outflows from value funds. How do you explain the lack of enthusiasm for equities this year with the moves up?
9: I think it's been a very uncommon bottom, right, since uh, nine months ago back in October. And a lot of investors were still worried about the threat of recession, uh, the threat of inflation becoming unanchored. And so that's left flow is very much restrained. And as you you just talked about money market funds, the bull market is in money market funds. They've taken in over 800 billion since the October lows and over
8: 550 billion since March. But how does this continue? How long will investors cling to 5% money market funds? When the the NASDAQ 100 was up 39% in the first half, the S&P was up 16%. The largest bond fund out there, the AGG, was only up two and a half percent. That's the total return. Somebody's got to be getting some serious, you know, FOMO this year, right? I mean, look at these. Look at these inflows into Treasury and cash like bonds and outflows from energy value, technology. Somebody's got to be
9: saying, uh oh, I missed the boat here. We're going to look back on this as a great textbook example of what opportunity cost means. It was great to be in money market funds and Treasuries at five percent. Until the NASDAQ goes on a 30 to 40% run in six months.
8: Yeah. So what's the catch-up trade here? What what works if you think the market will broaden out to include sectors other than technology, for example?
9: I I would look at ticker RSP. That's the equally S&P 500. You're putting Apple on the same level as some of the industrial stocks there. If you're looking for a catch-up play, go with that. I think the industrial sector itself, ticker RSPN, is another great one. And then if you wanted to get uh, a little more thematic, take a look at stocks from inflation, FCPI, just in case the inflation story rears its head around
8: again. How about the Renaissance Capital IPO? There's a good play. That's up more than 30 percent. Twice the S&P 500. That's an interesting play if you believe that the markets are going to continue to rise, yes, we
9: like the IPO fund as a risk barometer. So if this risk on environment is going to continue,
8: IPOs are a great way to play it, too. What about all these people who think the, the sell-off in commercial real estate is going to be a little bit overdone or has been overdone? There's yes. a number of ETFs for this.
9: So I, I think it's interesting. If commercial real estate was about to fall apart, would double line really be coming out with a commercial real estate fund? Uh, they have a brand new fund that came out a few months ago. I think it's a great tell on the sector. And if you're trying to be a sp- uh, play a space that's perhaps
8: uh, skepticism abound, that's a way to look and at it. It's commercial too. mortgage-backed securities, essentially. That's right? correct. Yeah. You know, you know. right, we're going to have a lot more on ETFs and where they're going in the second half. That's coming up on ETF Edge. That's 1.10 p.m. Eastern time. Todd will be joined by Dave Noddick. He's the Vetify financial futurist. Edge.cmbc.com. Much more on where ETFs are going in the second half. Again, coming ETF Edge. Com. Frank, back to you. All
1: right, Bob, our Bob Bassani, thank you very much. Coming up here on Halftime, our chart of the day. Shares of UPS, they're lower as a potential strike looms. are going to break down that trade. That's coming up next. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Let's go to our chart of the day. Shares of UPS, they're lower. Talks between the company and the Teamster Union breaking down. The union, which represents more than 300,000 UPS workers, says, the UPS, quote, walked away from efforts to iron out a new contract. UPS denying those claims, alleging it's the union actually stalling negotiations. The current UPS Teamsters contract expires on July 31st. Joe, I'm going to come over to you. You own UPS and the Joe T ETF. Yeah, we've owned it for, for quite some time. In fact, since inception, there's
0: only been one quarter where we stepped away from it. That was the uh, fourth quarter of 2021. So UPS over the last se- several years has done a very good job, certainly when you measure them relative to FedEx. FedEx is having a strong year. I'll give them that. Twenty twenty-three. today. Yep. FedEx is up 44% oh. year-to-date. UPS is up 7%. But let's remember in 22, UPS was down 31%. So this is certainly a near-term challenge. I would call it that for UPS. Uh, let's see what the resolution ultimately will be. And this is a difficult type of challenge because you're in an environment where you're seeing package demand decline strongly. We heard from FedEx on their recent earnings. The focus is still on reduction in costs. I think there's a $4 billion target by 2025. So overall, the industry's challenged. It's challenged by a difficult economic climate in Europe. And you can't dismiss that ultimately on July 31st, if the International Brotherhood of Teamsters choose to go on strike that there will be an impact to the US economy and to obviously UPS and FedEx
1: is a second derivative. So you're saying it's it's not just smoke, there's potential fire there. I of mean we are three, four weeks away from the deadline. Um, keep in mind the UPS is the biggest single employer for the Teamsters. So to go on strike or to walk away, it's a very big commitment.
0: Yeah, I, I think in the private sector it's the largest union. This would be a very big deal if, in fact, the international brotherhood of Teamsters is unable to come to uh, a resolution in their
1: negotiations. So, Weiss, we often come over to you when we're talking transports. I know you often talk about GXO. One other thing I want to point out today is Nice Swift, the nation's largest trucker, issued a profit warning today. Those shares down about 2% at last check. So we are seeing some broader weakness in the transports and also some disruption. It's not only UPS. It's the West Coast ports. It's the Canadian West Coast ports as well.
3: Yeah, you're also, but as Joe points out, seeing decline in volume. Look, this is just normal course of business if you own UPS or any of them because of the unions. So whenever the contracts pop up uh, for renegotiation, it's an issue. It causes volatility. But over a long-term basis, they tend to be, I'd say, somewhat reasonable in the increase to the compensation that they're looking for. And then it's just business as usual. They may raise prices, although tough to do in a market where, you know, deliveries are declining. So this is part of the indication of the market that's going towards recession, in my view, just another
1: you know data point. What do you think about the trucking warning from Knight Swift? You also own Old Dominion, another one of the, yeah. the big trucking companies here in the US.
3: Volumes are down. I mean, what they're telling you is that volumes are down. And what's interesting is that fuel prices, a lot of them charge have a surcharge of fuel, but some don't. Uh, and it's not across their entire customer base. But despite prices being down, they're still giving you uh, a warning so again it's a data point towards a weakening economy
1: you know why she don't something a lot of people don't talk about that fuel surcharge that can be a big tailwind for a lot of transport companies yep. including one that you own jim union pacific last fiscal year i believe it was a double digit revenue boost from that fuel surcharge just for the audience they basically buy the fuel wholesale but they charge their customers closer to retail so they're able to make a little bit of money on it but let's just focus on transports for a minute what's your feeling about what you own union pacific and just the broader transports.
4: Yeah, Union Pacific for me, Frank, is a much longer term play on the onshoring that's going on, infrastructure spending, all the hard asset construction that requires things like steel, concrete, all these things that get transported by rail. In the near term, and apropos of what we're all talking about, I think you you just can't miss what's going on with uh, airline traffic right now. It is extraordinarily high. It shows no sign of abating. You listen to guys like Ed Bastian at Delta Airlines, they still see demand continuing to grow. Uh, as you've got fuel coming down, that's actually the sweet spot right now. Airline traffic it won't be that way forever. But UPS's woes is the goods to services transfer that's been going on for the last year and a half. It won't last forever. Right now is the time to be investing in airlines and taking advantage
0: Jim, of it. Just real quick. This is the complicated debate that the Federal Reserve has. And I know, Jimmy, you've been on air talking about that you hope the Federal Reserve doesn't go too far in raising rates. But does the Federal Reserve look at the strong uh, commercial air traffic, or does the Federal Reserve see what's going on with companies like UPS with the trucking industry and the Federal Reserve uh, and the FedEx and realize it's time to not just skip, but to actually pause for an extended
1: period of time? Yeah, we'll have to see those Fed minutes coming up uh, after 2 p.m. Eastern time. Going to give us a lot of insight. Marcus may be kind of stalling ahead of that. All right, coming up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Much more halftime back right after this. All right, welcome back to Halftime Report. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now
10: with his midday word. Mike, what are you looking at? Well, looking at these sort of half-hearted dips we keep getting in the morning, Frank, last five days in a row, there has been an attempt at a pullback early. Mostly it gets bought, at least on the headline level. Today, a lot weaker under the surface than the S&P uh, is showing with uh, small caps down almost 1%, the equal weight down half a percent. But in general, the market is kind of still working off this overheated condition by just sort of churning sideways, staying still. Uh, certainly investors noticing where Treasury yields are going. Uh, you have the 10-year above 3 3- nine, the two year uh, Treasury above 4.9. So it seems as if we're going to have to fill in some of the blanks here on just how hot the labor market is. A lot of data over the next two days to see if those rate moves are going to be uh, breakouts for real. So watching that alongside these extremes we came into the second half with, right? Large over small, stocks over bonds, growth over value, uh, high beta, kind of volatile stocks over defensive ones. All that stuff uh, kind of came in sort of stretched. So the trend is your friend, but it seems as if there's room in there. For some give back along the way. All
1: right, so trends our friend. One thing that's breaking the trend right now is the VIX. The VIX up more than 3% after a very muted first half of the year. What do you make of that? Of course, it is a holiday week.
10: Yeah, we're coming off of, uh, you know, four days in which we only had half a day of trading, so that depressed the VIX. That just happens mechanically as you get these market closure days. But we do do have a a monthly jobs report on Friday. So it'll rebuild a little bit from there, probably. Uh, And any uh, weakness in some of the very largest stocks in the index or any let up in this rotational activity we have among sectors that's keeping the overall index in this kind of lock tight, sturdy uh, formation is probably going to lead to some upside, maybe drift in the VIX. But I don't see anything too alarming about it over 14 here.
1: Yeah. Jobs report Friday. Fed minutes in just about an hour. Mike Santoli. Thank you very much, as always. All right. Stick with halftime. we got grade my trade. That's coming up next. All right. Welcome back to halftime. Time now for grade my trade. First up for Jenny. Jerry bought Iron Mountain at 26 bucks and wants to know what to do with it now. Please grade this trade.
2: Okay, so I think Iron Mountain, and I've owned this for years and years and years, but it's a little bit in no man's land right now. So you're up 16% this year. You're down to a 4.2% yield. It's a real estate investment trust, so that's not tax advantage. When you look at the earnings coming up, you've got like decent earnings growth in the next few years, 11%, 16%, but it's also trading at a multiple of about 17 times forward earnings. So for me, I don't have anything that I'd rather own than it right now, so I'm holding it. But it's funny that this came up right now because just this morning I was thinking, oh, that could be a source of cash in the future.
1: All right, next question for Joe. Frank, not me, but Frank writes as an advisor, I put my clients into the Magnificent Seven, the SPY and the XLK. What changes should I make for the second half of the year? Well, that's going significantly overweight. Uh, the NASDAQ and, and those
0: magnificent seven. Look, let me go back to what I said at the beginning of the show. The upcoming quarter has the highest probability to be the weakest quarter of the four quarters for 2023. The trigger for the potential weakness would be the continued rise in yields. So in that environment, if you are individually allocated towards the magnificent, magnificent seven, as we call them, uh, I don't understand the justification for going beyond that
1: and also being along the S&P and the XLK. Yeah, Just for clarity, Magnificent 7, NVIDIA, Microsoft, AI, please. Uh, last question for Jim. John, wants advice on CVS?
4: He bought it at $87 and it's going down. Hey, John, I know this has been a tough one, but I think that this is an incomplete assignment right now. You and I both have a lot more time on this one. At eight times forward earnings, three and a half percent dividend yield, buying back shares and having made transformative acquisitions just this year. I think there is a blue sky ahead for CVS. I want you to stick with it, and both you and I will get a good grade, good grade on this when we come out the other side. All right, so, Jenny, you wanted to add on just a bit?
1: Only one
2: thing. Jerry, I meant to say you get an A+. Plus. You went from 26 to 58, A+. Plus.
4: There,
1: it is grade my trade. <laughs> I know.
2: I forgot to grade it.
1: Jenny Harrington giving out the A's. <laughs> All right, final trades are coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to halftime. Time now for Final Trades. Joe, you're up first. So I think going
0: beyond the U.S. sometimes is beneficial for geographic diversification in a portfolio. Take a look at India. We are hearing about the weakness in China, but there's a lot of strength in India. INDA, that's the ETF you want to play. India's equity market at an all-time high. All right. Next up, Jenny.
2: Okay, SL Green. Well, this is up 40% in the past couple weeks. It's still down 34% over the past year. 10.4% yield. Finally, appreciation coming back of this company for the unbelievable high-quality New York City office assets that they own.
1: All right, Weiss, you're up
3: next. Alphabet, I I think it's ready to move here. Uh, It sold off a little bit, not much, but I think it can
4: go back to the old highs. Jim, did a little foreshadowing earlier. General Motors. I did. It's one of these companies where the estimate revisions keep going up, and with good reason. They came out with second-quarter sales, and they're pretty darn good. Take a look.
1: All right. Uh, One last look at the, the markets right now as we get ready to toss things over to the exchange. Down across the board, the Russell, still the hardest hit, down 1%, but all the other three indices fractionally lower. The Dow down about a third of a percent. All right, that does it for halftime right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
6: completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such to view the full halftime report disclaimer please visit cnbc.com forward slash halftime report disclaimer
5: this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do so you need a business partner just like you like fedex who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you